This is Chris McGregor. The work of Discerning Hearts could not continue without your prayers and support. Between now and December 31st, please consider making a year-end tax-deductible gift. Click Donate at either DiscerningHearts.com or inside the Discerning Hearts free app. Your generous support will allow us to continue our podcast for those on the discerning journey. Thank you and God bless from all of us at Discerning Hearts. DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Archdiocese of Omaha, presents Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. Pope Francis, in his encyclical letter, Lumen Fidei, The Light of Faith, said that face past, the act of Jesus' love which brought new life to the world, comes down to us through the memory of others, witnesses, and is kept alive in that one remembering subject, which is the Church. The Church is a mother who teaches us to speak the language of faith. In that spirit, this series of conversations with Archbishop Lucas brings the many aspects of the Catholic faith and why it matters, not only to the individual, but also to families, communities, and the world at large. Why it matters an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome, Archbishop Lucas. Thank you, Chris. It's good to be with you. It is always such an important time when the church begins to enter into that new, as some might call it, liturgical year. And yet it's not new necessarily. It's the the action of Advent. So it's new and it's old. It's what's happening today. It's just ever-present in some ways, isn't it? Yeah, the season is changing on our liturgical calendar. And our life is made up of of seasons. And it doesn't go in a straight line uh, just from point A to point B. And in our life together in the church, we have uh, what we sometimes call a year of grace and the grace continues to flow, and, and then year by year we get to repeat our immersion into the, the mystery of God's love for us in, in Jesus Christ as we begin the cycle of, of liturgical seasons over again. The scriptures change from year to year. We have a cycle of, of scriptures for the Sunday Mass. And when we're honest, I think we can all admit that each of us is in a different place as we begin Advent this year from the place we were in last year. And so we have the opportunity, really the grace, of encountering the Lord perhaps from a different perspective, from a different place of need or of joy or or of hope, maybe all of those things uh, together. It's not sim- simply repetitious. I think how many Advents have I had now? You know, the same old thing. But, but I'm a very different person in some ways. Same person, of course, but different in, in some important ways from the person I was 50 years ago, even five years ago. I always look forward to the, the beginning of, of the liturgical year. It's a, a chance to start over and to hear again the beautiful promise that God began to express to his people so many generations before the coming of the Savior, a promise that is fulfilled in, in Jesus Christ. It's fulfilled not only in the past with the coming of Jesus as a child, uh, it's fulfilled for us now. Because the church has been established, so that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can encounter Jesus, our Savior, and our brother, 
we, we can encounter him here. And he comes to meet us right where we are on our journey of faith, or maybe some are on a journey that they don't think involves much faith. Jesus comes looking for them too, for each of us, and, and then helps us orient ourselves in the direction of being able to receive the fullness of what God means for all of us to have abundant life in the Trinity. I've heard it described before that for the liturgical calendar, as it were, that it's not necessarily a continual circle, but it's more like a spiral that continues, hopefully, ascending forward. So in my mind, I remember that climb in the cupola in Rome where you go to the very top. You start out, and you're going to circle around a circle, and you look out the window, and you get a different aspect. Every time you look, there's a different view. You see further. There's different things you couldn't see before when you were lower on that spiral. And that's kind of what we're experiencing, hopefully, when we enter into this new liturgical year. And that's a good way to look at it. As I said, it's not just the same old thing over and over and over again. We're on a pilgrimage, as the Second Vatican Council reminds us. We're a, a pilgrim people, so we're moving ahead. Sometimes we stumble, sometimes we get, get distracted. But ultimately, the pilgrimage of, of the church herself, which we get to be part of, is ahead and up, we could say, in the direction of risen and ascended Jesus in the direction of eternal life. All of this is ultimately to draw into a closer relationship with Christ Jesus. The time that we have experienced just prior to Advent is a time in the church where we recall the ones who we love who have passed. We spend a good month just reflecting on the saints, on the poor souls that we pray for in purgatory, but also we pray for what our hope is ultimately. This is the kind of the preparation for what we're about to enter into, isn't it? It's all connected, and it, it, right, it leads very beautifully into the season of Advent. In fact, the prayers of the first couple Sundays of Advent and the, and the readings, they resemble what we've been hearing already in, in, in recent weeks, uh, talking about the end of things and the reality that life in this world is necessarily limited. When we talk about the readings on Sunday in particular, when most people gather for that first Sunday of Advent. It's a time we're heading to Christmas, and yet here we hear of, can I say, the end point. This is where, where we're going before we even get there. And in that, in relation to the kerygma, the announcement that Jesus is very present, very alive, very active in our lives today, and our witness to that, that concern about the end times, but also the, the presence of Jesus now, that's something that needs to be shared with others, isn't it? Especially during times of fear. Yeah, well, we have to embrace it ourselves, too. The church really doesn't invite us to be sentimental. You're right, the culture around us is getting ready for the celebration of Christmas, however people see that or celebrate it. But we remember that Jesus is not going to be born again. Jesus is not a baby. Jesus was a baby once, and eventually we'll remember that. We'll celebrate that feast with great joy and tenderness. But at the beginning of Advent, the church really invites us to, to focus on the reality that, that Jesus will come again. There will be a, a second coming, and that will be a day of reckoning. Those of us who know the Lord and who understand God's merciful love for us in Jesus Christ, that doesn't have to be a fearful prospect, but it should be a, a sobering reality. Sometimes people might be disappointed, you know, that at the beginning of Advent, it's, it's not all silent night and romantic scenes of the little town of Bethlehem. We will, as I said, celebrate the, the birth of Jesus later, which we should, you know, remember what really happened for our sake. But in these opening days of, of the season of Advent, we think about the end of, of things in this world and the Lord coming again to 
herald creation of a new heavens and a new earth. I don't know if it's if I can say it's unfortunate, maybe it is, that here in the United States we have this beautiful, wonderful gathering we call Thanksgiving. And it kind of messes us up as far as the feel of what Advent is. And what I mean by that is that we have this time to remember our loved ones, who we care about, and where our ultimate destiny is. And then here is God's answer. But with Thanksgiving joy here in the United States particularly, we kind of jump to a Christmas feeling. Christmas, for most of the world, feels like our Thanksgiving. It's a little premature for us. So for an American Catholic, it can be kind of a strange thing for us to settle into. Yeah, well, let's keep our wits about us. You know, I, think <laughs> we, I think we can kind of start, we can start this out. Thanksgiving is a beautiful experience and the celebration of it. It wasn't created as a religious feast uh, per se, and it's, it wasn't part of the, the church's liturgical calendar. But to give thanks to God as the giver and source of, of every good gift is right at the heart of our faith. And it, it is an expression of, of faith, really, the, of God is God and, and the source of everything that's good. It's appropriate almost any time. As we'll see, you know, we begin a new liturgical season, but in every season, God is caring for us. And we experience that care in a, in a variety of ways. And if we're not careful, we can take it for granted. So the human wisdom, and it's also spiritual wisdom too, in celebrating Thanksgiving, is that we stop and make sure we don't take it for granted and, and be intentional uh, about acknowledging God and, and, and giving thanks to God. When the feast was established in our country, the holiday of Thanksgiving, the vast majority of people were believers, believers in God and in God's providence in, in some way. That's not so much the case anymore, so it's becoming more a uh, secular feast. It's not a bad thing you know, for people to gather as families, as, as communities, to have a spend time together, to enjoy a meal together that's all beautiful, really, and grace builds on nature, so often very powerful good experiences come come from that. Those of us who are people of faith have the opportunity to celebrate sort of both aspects of Thanksgiving. They they fit very well together and make it a day of, of prayer. We have the opportunity to go to Mass, maybe to serve the poor on that day, beautiful ways of, of expressing our confidence that God is providing for us and that we are privileged to be able to say thanks to God for the blessings that surround us. And yet, that, for many, unfortunately, and I can be one of those who could easily say I do the same thing, it's the jumping point for where we, boom, we go right into the Christmas feeling that we now experience in today's culture, as opposed to taking time to kind of reflect about our ultimate destiny. And from what the readings, particularly at Advent, are trying to help us center us to, wouldn't you say? Right, that's why the, the liturgical calendar, the seasons of grace, are, are, are so important to us. Because without that, it is really just the same old thing. Again, and there's a certain joy that, that goes with the Christmas holidays and celebrating Christmas, of course. But a lot of it's a pain in the neck, frankly, and a lot of work and expectations that aren't met and so forth. So who needs all that? But it's, it's here, it's, it's around us, and we don't want to be act like Scrooge, you know, and be grumpy about it. But we have this great blessing in, in our faith that in this time more or less between Thanksgiving and, and Christmas. We have a really rich season of prayer and, and reflection, uh, the beautiful readings, beautiful hymns that begin to stir up in us the desire to meet the Lord at his coming. 
his second coming someday. We'll celebrate his, his coming as a child in Bethlehem, but also, and more importantly, the ways that he reveals himself to us in the circumstances of our lives day by day, and, and particularly in how he reveals himself in, in the lives of our neighbors and especially the poor. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 24, verses 37 to 44. Jesus said to his disciples, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. In those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage, up to the day that Noah entered the ark. They did not know until the flood came and carried them all away. So will it also be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be out in the field. One will be taken, and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, and one will be left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on which day your Lord will come. Be sure of this. If the master of the house had known the hour of the night when the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and not let his house be broken into. So too, you also must be prepared, for at an hour you do not expect, the Son of Man will come. The Gospel of the Lord. It's pretty ominous. You have to... Stay awake, be ready, don't you? Yes, well, and that's uh, a central message of the prophets, a central message of, of, uh, of Advent. As I said, we're invited to focus at the beginning of this uh, new season, as we have really been the, the weeks leading up to it, as the old year was, was coming uh, to an end, to focus on the reality that the Lord will come again, and we don't know when. And we would do well, to, to be ready to meet him when he comes. He uses in, in the gospel a variety of ways some parables about the, the stewards being entrusted with things. The master goes away, and they, they better behave, and he better find them behaving when, when he comes back. So it's not meant to be ominous, and, and it's not meant to, to scare us, but it is meant to focus us and to, we might say, sober us up, that imagine that we're going to be able to move right from this world to the next if our current uh, way of operating is eat, drink, and be merry, and if that's all that there is. So the, the Son of Man is coming at an hour that don't expect, and that's true. It's an article of our faith, and we've been talking about the kerygma, you know, so this is, in a sense, the climax of the, of the kerygma, the climax of the central thread of, of understanding God's love for us in, in Jesus Christ. That is, that at the end of time, the Lord will, will come again in glory, now he comes in humility and in mercy, and that's the beauty of the Advent and Christmas season. We're able to encounter him. We don't have to be afraid, but someday our life is going to end, whether it ends with the coming of, of the Lord again or whether life just runs out, as it does for, uh, for each of us. We're going to meet the Lord face to face. Then we have to give an account of our stewardship. He's very clear about that. So rather than say, well, this is ominous, or we should, this, this is worrisome, we should think, what a great gift that we know that this is true. God isn't just going to ambush us and say, I kind of set you up to think that you were going to live forever and have your sins forgiven, but not too bad. No, that we have every opportunity as a new liturgical year begins. Well, here's another opportunity to be immersed in the, in the truths of the kerygma 
so that we can encounter Jesus and have, and have life in him. And then we can follow his exhortation to not be afraid. That's the key, isn't it? Not to be afraid. There's a healthy fear in many regards. I mean, I'm not going to touch that stove when it's hot because I know that that could burn me and I don't want my child to do that. But there's that other fear that can cripple us, can it? There's a, a crippling fear that really comes from the evil one that draws us away from faith and, and putting our, our confidence in God. What I should be afraid of, we sometimes call it the fear of the Lord, it's a gift of the Holy Spirit, to, to be afraid that I'm going to try to push God off of his throne and take his place myself in some way or other, which is really what happens every time that we sin. We may not think of it that way exactly. I want to be careful about that you know, because that's not good for me. That's not good for the people around me either if I'm, if I'm trying to uh, act like I'm God or can take God's place in a particular situation. If I put my confidence in God and in the salvation that is ours in, in Jesus Christ and the mercy that is ours as often as we need it, then I don't have to be afraid. We're naturally a little wary of what the end of the world might be, you know, when the Lord comes again, or, or even what's the experience of passing from this life to the next life, what that, what that will be about, because we've never done it. And so, you know, we can get a little bit worried about how that's going to go, but we can have confidence, and it's the, the Lord wants us to have it, that it's going to go well. The passing from here to there is something we haven't experienced before, but, but the destination the end of the pilgrimage, is abundant life, if we'll take it. And it's promised to us at baptism. It's offered to us again and again, and the mercy, the healing that is needed for us, if we mess with that, mess with God's plan, turn turn away from it, that can all be filled with grace again. God provides for that. So deep down, should have faith. (laughs) Faith in God and not in ourselves. These are the times that really begin to stir in our hearts, not only for ourselves, but for our loved ones. We just want to know that they're going to be okay, that they're good, that they're safe. It's not that we cannot stop worrying. We will not. And the reason I, I mention that is that during this time, too, there are many moms, dads, husbands, wives, who are concerned that their loved one is not prepared, that maybe they have even drifted away. And these are the times in these family gatherings and these parties and reunions again. How does the charisma help them to be able to reach out to them in a different way this year? So I think the first thing that I would say is that it's very helpful for, for us or for parents or relatives that are you know, wondering about somebody else to remember how much God cares about that person and how valuable each of them is in God's sight and in God's plan. So valuable that the Son of God humbled himself to come to be with us. And not just to be with us as a visitor, but to redeem us through the power of, of, his, of his death and, and resurrection. Just as we, you and I do, that person that you're wondering about, worrying about, has a Savior who loves him and her you know, infinitely. You and I are not the Savior, <laughs> and, and we feel that. Limitation, don't we? If there's somebody we really care about who we think is on a, on a wrong path or where some, there could be so much more for, for that person, be able to pick them up and, and turn them around right, but we're not God. We're not able to do that, and God doesn't even do that. You know, so God respects our freedom. The message, though, of, of Advent and, and Christmas is that God so loved the world that he's given us the gift of his Son. And his Son has come not to condemn the world, but he's come so that we might have life. 
So we know the plan of God, and we know that the plan of God is not just a good idea God had one time, and among many other good ideas, but the, but God's will is effective unless we push it away, unless we, unless we turn it off. Again, I can't judge the world and shouldn't try, but I think my sense is most people are not doing that consciously. We're, we get distracted, and people are afraid and hurt, and just a number of things that, that God sees, and they're the very reasons why Jesus comes among us in such a humble and, and gentle way uh, as, as part of the human family, not hovering above somewhere, just sta- standing over us in, in judgment, but, but wading right in to the messiness of, of human life and existence into, into these relationships that we find uh, with people we love so challenging and sometimes, sometimes troublesome. We have to invite him in ourselves to our own lives and then trust that he will help us see how we might approach those that, that we care about so much. Yeah, that staying awake. But it's more about staying awake to our own interiority in a very real way because we can sometimes, can't we be so focused on what they're doing and not see what's that anxiety, that that fear, all those things are churning up inside of us. And how does that look? I mean, how does that look to them? Yeah, that's a good reflection. So we f- maybe sometimes focus on what other people are doing or not doing, and then we maybe f- try to figure out, well, what am I supposed to do to make them do something different or help them see a, diff- a different way? The focus of Advent really should be on what is God doing? What's God doing for all of us, poor sinners who are making our way along, stumbling. Some days seem really good and faithful, and the life of faith seems easy and we have it all together, and then the next day it seems to fall apart. But God is very patient, loving, understanding. And his response to all that is, is the gift of, of his son. Jesus will work through us then, there, because he does, his plan for the church is that his disciples will continue his mission and will have an effect on the lives of others for good and the community on, on the world. But we have to learn that from him. And that takes time. And sometimes we want to know the answer to how to, how to respond to a situation. And he's not given us the answer at that moment for his own good purposes. So it takes patience, but ultimately faith. And, and, and really the, the invitation these days, uh, the beginning of the new liturgical year, is, is to remember again, what's God doing? What's the plan of God? What does he want ultimately for us? And then how is he providing what we need day by day so that we can be able to receive it in the end? The challenge can be for some of us that, as in the beginning of the gospel, when it talks about the day of Noah, and the reason why that was happening is because the world was such a mess, and they had turned from God. And we hear other stories in the Old Testament about a Sodom and Gomorrah and even the activity of the chosen people who railed against God and were punished in some ways because of their activities. We look around the world today, and for many in their hearts, what they see is a world that they just can't believe we've descended into as far as cultural issues in relation to the human person, in relationships even within marriage and other institutions that we understand. It's a confusing time. And so the kerygma is important for us to stay focused on, isn't it? Even in what we perceive in our culture as something that is unrecognizable. Yeah, one way to look at it is that, is that we're being punished, but we're reminded that the, 
the wages of sin or death. Uh, death is, is the end of all this. And our selfish choices, our faithless choices lead to, to a bad end. They're not good for, for us or, or for other people. So in a sense, they have their own punishment built in. Sort of parse that too, too strictly. But again, we're to, when we look at the kerygma, we realize that w- what, what is God's desire for us? It's not punishment. It's not death. God's desire is, is life. We're created for life. We're not created for eternal death. And even though we have, in a variety of ways, in every generation, sadly, embarked on paths that, that would lead us to death, God is not turning his back on us and not giving up on us, gives us the gift of, of his son, Jesus, who enters into this mess. And St. Paul says, he who knew no sin becomes sin for us. So he, in a mysterious way, God descends into the punishment, if you want to call it that, and Jesus takes that on himself in a very personal and, and real way and then conquers it. And through the power of his resurrection, creates the space where this can all be set right. Again, we don't seem to learn either in our own lives or, or one generation uh, to the next, which kind of coming back to the, where we started, you know, is the reason why uh, year by year we're reminded again from the beginning of what God is doing for us in, in Jesus Christ, um, if we'll receive it. I shouldn't say if we'll receive it, he's doing it. Uh, and, and then the invitation for us is to be open to it and then to be drawn into it, to not have our own scheme for how to be saved or, or how to make a life for ourselves, but to allow ourselves to, to be drawn into the, the, the plan of, of God, which is all for, for our good. In closing, Archbishop, what would you say the soul that's listening right now and is entering into this first week of Advent, what would you hope that the family gathering around the Advent wreath or the individual sits and just takes time for some personal reflection and prayer, what's your hope for them? Uh, it's the same as my hope for myself, that uh, this year in a new way that I would open the door of my life, of, of my heart, a little wider and, and invite the Lord in. And my hope would be that we would invite him into the, the places where we're confused or hurting or guilty because of sins that we've committed. Jesus isn't confused, and he's not ashamed of, of us. We might be ashamed of ourselves. Maybe we should be, but he's not He's not ashamed. This is an, an opportunity for a new new beginning, we could say, a new moment to experience the, the coming of the Lord into our lives in a, in a way that's very personal. And, and as you're talking about family gatherings, we, we invite the Lord into those relationships, which are beautiful often, but often troublesome or confusing. Again, Jesus isn't confused. So he loves each one in the family gatherings as he loves you and me, and, and he wants to enter into our lives. He, as I said, he's not hovering somewhere. He, he wants to be with us. So my hope is that, that, that we'll let him in and let him show us where we need to be healed and forgiven, and then we can allow him to, to, to touch us there. Yeah, and for many people, if you've been away for whatever reason— it's time to come home. It's come the bigger family celebration, this this time of Advent. Come back to parishes, come back to Mass, and it, allow God to touch you in that, right? Yes, certainly. I'm, so bring somebody with you. That's I'm always happy when that happens. We have a lot of people at the Christmas liturgies. My hope, though, first, is that th- those who may feel separated or uh, away from 
the church for any reason, will be drawn again into the story of the coming of Jesus at Christmas, humble, quiet way that he approaches us, his vulnerability, so that we don't have to be afraid of that. I pray that more and more people will have a sense that this is really for for them, that this is for me, his his coming is, is for each of us, and that even though he comes quietly, humbly, he comes with, with great power. He is the Son of God, and that he applies that power to break the chains of, of sin and death that we've become entangled in. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Archbishop Lucas. Thanks. Blessed Advent. You've been listening to Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. To hear and or to download this episode, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the Archdiocese of Omaha. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas.